All right. Greetings, everyone. This is Eric Stewart from Fishing Fanatics, and I have an awesome guest today, Greg Vision, who is a professional angler on the Major League Fishing Bass Pro Tour, and he's fished the Bass Pro Tour, the Bass Master Elite, and the FLW Tour. He also has 23 career top 10 wins um, and then 42 career top 20s. So, Greg, how you doing, man? Great, man. Thanks for having me on, Eric. Absolutely. Great to have you on. And I got to tell you, I was looking into your background a little bit, and you've been a bass fisherman for how many, 16 years? Yeah, I've been doing it full-time for 16 years. And and man, that, it, that 16 years has gone by so fast. You know, I, I started out, you know, I had a normal job, you know, like everybody else, a cool job. You know, I was working for the state of Alabama doing water quality monitoring, but, you know, gotten had gotten into the tournament fishing and started to do well. And you know, my wife and I decided to let's give it a year and see what happens. And I was really fortunate that my job was I was able to do that. And and I had a certain amount of time that I'd be able to return to that position. So it, it gave me a real, you know, good opportunity. That a lot of folks don't have that I could go out and try and see what happens. And uh, man, every year for the past 16 years, it's the very next year is always like, let's see what happens, you know, but but I've been really blessed. And getting to live a dream. You know, it's not easy. It's, it's a tough dream, but, but I, I love this roller coaster ride. That's professional fishing. Absolutely. And let's throw it all the way back to 16 years ago, you're working and you're like, man, I really want to try this thing. Who were some people that you talked to, maybe kind of pushed you over the edge a little bit, gave you that motivation to just, Hey, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to try and really make a run at this thing. Uh, without a doubt, I'd say my wife, you know, I, I think, you know, I had a good friend that I fished local tournaments with and, you know, I talked to him, you know, we actually worked at the same place at, uh, with Alabama Department of Environmental Management and, you know, fished some tournaments together and all. And uh, other than my wife really, you know, pushing me to, hey, let's, get, you know, go ahead and let's give it a shot. You know, I, I think we can handle it. She was, she's really, she's in the financial uh, industry, so she knows her numbers. I don't, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, fishing freak. So I'm glad I, you know, we compliment each other, but, uh, she was like, yeah, give it a shot and, uh, let's, let's see what happens. And, and this other friend of mine, you know, when I told him I was leaving, you know, my job to try, he said, you'll never be back. And I think he knew me better than I did. I think he knew the drive that I had. I think hopefully he, you know, he noticed that I had some, some talent too, but, uh, for whatever reason, you know, that stuck with me, you know, because it surprised me that he said that I thought I'd be back. You know, I thought I'd go out there and give it a year or two get it out of my system and, and I'd be back, you know, working at the state. And he's like, you'll never be back. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget that. Damn, that's a pretty awesome story. And going back to your college days, right? Um, I looked up a little bit, some information on you. You were a college baseball player, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, growing up, we didn't, uh, I, I played all kinds of sports. I was a really good athlete, you know, I played basketball, baseball and football. So, you know, I was a quarterback of my high school football team and and uh, ended up getting a scholarship in baseball to to play for Auburn University of Montgomery. We were a smaller NAIA school, but I did. I ended up doing really well. I started out real slow uh, there, but ended up doing really well. You know, found myself as a pitcher and uh, was really good. It taught me a lot of life lessons, you know, going through that. But we didn't have the high school, the junior, the college fishing, anything like that. Um, the way I'm wired and as passionate as I was about ball sports, I was twice as passionate about, you know, fishing. So if I'd had that option, you know, I might not have done it, but it was a really good experience. I'm, I made some great friendships that I still have today. And I got to play with two or three guys that were ate up with fishing as, and hunting as much as I was. And uh, so we got a, we got along well, to say the least. 
No, absolutely. And um, I played a little college baseball myself, not at the level that you did, oh, but actually yeah. where I where I found my love for fishing was um, I was down in the junior college down in South Jersey. And um, actually my roommate, <clears throat> we used to just stay up real late watching fishing videos. And yeah. at that yeah. point in my life, I wasn't really into fishing. It was like kind of like, okay, I did some trout fishing here and there, but um, we would just stay up late watching fishing YouTube videos. And then one day we had a little runoff creek pond in the back of where we were living. We ended up climbing underneath the fence and I threw a frog in there, like not thinking anything was going to happen. Next thing you know, a big bass blew it up. And I was like, I was hooked from that moment on. Look, yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it's so amazing. Like everybody has that story of, you know, that moment, you know, we, we can almost go back and all of us that are just, you know, fishing fanatics now are, you know, we had that moment in our lives, like that we can look back to is like, that's the moment that, that I got into it, that I was hooked and, and, you know, the rest is history. And, uh, you know, for me, it was, you know, my dad was a fisherman and, uh, but I remember one particular trip, he took me on a few of them, but one stood out in particular and it wasn't for bass. I had caught a bass or two, but it was actually, uh, he took me out in the spring and nice warm weather, kind of like we're having in Alabama right now and, and got to catch some crappie. <laughs> and, but I remembered, you know, uh, I think the cool thing was, is that I was making the cast on my own. I was, you know, I, I figured it out. I think that's the cool thing about fishing and the rewarding thing is when you figure it out, whatever that is. For me that day, it was this little bitty smoke colored grub on a 16th ounce jig head. And I had a, a push button reel, you know, I was probably only about six, seven years old. And, uh, but I figured out the retrieve, the speed. And if you've ever fished for crappie, you you know, like that bait's got to come through at just the right zone and the the speed. And And I figured it out. And uh, and just caught once I got it right, I caught them cast after cast. And I remember that as well as any good tournament that I've ever had was that day, you know, figuring out how to catch those crappie. That's awesome. And let's let's take it back to your college days, because there's one of these things that I like to draw comparisons to to college baseball and any other competition. Right. Where you're in the college baseball game, you're waking up at six in the morning, you got weight room, then you got class, then you got practice, then you got weight room again. You know, those long days of just grinding and then competing during game day. How yeah. can you make any comparison between what it's like being a college baseball player to what it's like being a professional bass fisherman? Oh, there's a ton of comparisons, you know, and that I think that really, you know, having that experience and playing college sports, especially with the major league fishing format where with score tracker where you know the score. You know, I've I've played sports my whole life, you know, knowing whether I was ahead or behind and having to deal with that and and adjust going forward. Um, knowing that you've got to put the work in, that everybody, uh, especially once I got to college, you know, growing up, I was sort of just a naturally gifted athlete. So, um, you know, I was good. I, whether I practiced hard or not, I was good. When I reached that college level, you know, my later high school and college levels, when it really hit me that, okay, everybody's good and I've got to put in the work. And, and I learned that the hard way, you know, my first year or two, um, that you don't just show up and, and you know, and, and you're good, you know, because everybody's good. You've got to put in the work and the drive and, and you've got to think about it and strategize and, and, and really build yourself as a, as a player and refine your skills. And uh, I've taken that lesson to me, you know, with me into professional fishing. I've always had that competitive drive. And I think that's something that's common across, you know, all sports. You see a, a, a lot of people that are, you know, good at one sport, but they can, they can step into something else. And, and it's that competitive drive. And man, I'll tell you nowhere else, uh, more than in fishing, 
you know, when you're when you're out there and you spend a 12 or 14 hour practice day and things aren't going that well and you've only got a limited number of days to figure it out and and you're just you're tired, you're exhausted and hungry and, you know, and dehydrated and everything else. And then you, you've got to you got to find the motivation to get back up and do it all over again. You know, and, and that's when you find out what you're made out of. And, um, you know, playing from behind, being down, knowing that that you're getting your brains beat out and, and what can you do to to recover, you know, and, and set yourself up or, or during the course of the season, you, you're you having a few bad tournaments. The last one I had at Toho, worst tournament I've had in probably four or five years, you know, just a total bomb. Uh, and, and I like to get some momentum started early in the season. That was exactly the opposite of what I wanted. But mentally, I've got to adjust. I've got a whole season ahead of me and, and I've got to, you know, put that behind me, learn from learn lessons that I can. And then going forward, you know, I've just I've just got to pick it back up and get that drive back and build that confidence back up that, that I can still compete. I like it, man. And there's one of these sayings that we've always used in baseball. It's it's 27 outs. You got to get yeah. 27 outs one way or yeah. the other on defense yeah. and baseball to finish a game. Right. So it's not yeah. over to the to the fat lady sings or that last outs made. And yeah. I got to see the similarities between that and like professional bass fishermen. Like maybe you're going into the last day and you might not be where you want to be. But that last day can make a hell of a lot of difference. Absolutely. You know, I, you know, going back to uh, I was I ended up being a sidearm pitcher. So so I could throw a lot more innings than a normal guy. And that's what saved my career in college was dropping down and throwing sidearm. And, you know, I like to say I was learning to, to skip a bait caster at the same time. And that, that arm angle is the exact same arm angle. So a uh, friend of mine not too long ago, his kid was working on pitching sidearm. He likes to fish. I said, just tell him to go out there and work on skipping a bait caster all day. Don't pick up a ball yet. But, you know, my last ball game I pitched was, uh, and I knew it was probably my last game. We were in the conference tournament. And uh, I started and uh, started, you know, the, our as our ace. And Started the game. I've been solid all year. I gave up four runs, a lot of little dribblers. You know, I gave up four runs in the first inning. Anybody else, their coach would have pulled them right there. Um, but my confidence had – my coach had confidence in me, and, and he he knew that if I could get it together, that I could carry us. And I finished out that inning somehow, four runs down. Uh, and they ended up throwing a nine-inning game. We beat them 11-4. to four. And uh, so – you know, that's how I left my college career was knowing, you know, that I can be I can be behind, but I can get it together and and shut it down and and, and be successful. You know, and, and that was so that's a you know a special moment in college baseball. And it taught me a lot of life lessons too, you know, about you know, keeping your keeping your head down and keeping your confidence up and uh and you can get through it. So, you know, one of the things like like with college baseball and, and ball sports especially, there's a lot of you know, I used to try to get amped up, you know, when I pitched. I wanted to get jacked up, you know, and, you know, almost like ready to, to go into a fight. You know, I pitched well like that and hit well, too. And, uh, you know, fishing's a little bit different. It's so mental. There's a there's a lot more. There's a lot of art. You know, pitching was really, you know, all sports is very mental. Uh, and you have to have that, that ability to focus. Uh, but the difference in fishing is there's a lot of art and intuition and, and uh, making adjustments on the fly, you know, instincts and things like that, that probably, you know, uh, with fishing is probably more important than it is in, you know, in ball sports. And so that's, you know, one thing that I noticed over the years that is different is uh, sometimes you've got to dial back that that amped up, you know, feeling so that you can focus and make make decisions and uh, and, and be comfortable and relaxed and, and confident. 
I like it. I like it, man. So let's let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about like strategies on fishing. And one of the things I'm yet to figure out is how to target fish during different like spawn phases, whether they're moving off beds, whether they're moving up shallow, moving on the beds. Tell yeah. me a little bit about what you've learned just through fishing and some tips for amateurs that you see um, for just locating fish during those different times of the spawn. Yeah, that, you know, we normally we think about seasons, you know, spring, summer, you know, fall, winter. But in fishing, there's really the spawn is three seasons. You've got the, the pre-spawn, you've got the spawn, and you've got the post-spawn. And there's a whole lot going on. And sometimes those cross over because you're getting different weather patterns. And, uh, and it can change uh, from lake to lake. So it, it can be tricky. Um, you know, I, you, you've heard the saying, think like a fish. Um, I, I like to think that they just they react to their environment more than anything else. Um, they're just like us. They want to be comfortable. They want something good to eat, and, the, and they want a roof over their heads. So um, when, they, when they're getting ready to spawn, uh, it's, they're not going to totally commit to an area where, where they're going to kind of be uh, in a bad situation if the weather turns bad. You know, so it's early season. The, the water's still cool. Let's say, um, you know, and I'm speaking from the southeast. It may, it's going to vary between southeast and, and other regions of the country. But when the water's, you know, in the low 50s for us, that's that's kind of cool. You know, upper 40s, low 50s, those those fish aren't, you know, they're going to stay out there where the water's a little bit deeper because when we get a hard cold front, that surface layer is going to, it's going to get really cold. But everything below that is kind of going to just sort of stay the same for a little bit. And that's their safe spot, you know, where they're, they're not real vulnerable to those hard cold temps. Um, lately here in Alabama, we've had some extremely warm weather for this time of year. Normally our fish aren't coming into spawn to, you know, say late March, but we've had at least a week of, uh, 75 to 80 degrees, which is highly unusual. Usually we'll get a 70 degree day and then it'll be followed up by a 20 degree day this time of year. So this is in a lot of flux, but we've had really stable conditions. And these fish, you know, once they realize like, hey, it's been nice and warm for like five days straight. Okay, I think it's let's let's go. You know, the water temperatures jumped up in the close to 60 degrees. And and that's a mark. You know, once you get to that for us, like that 57 to 60, you know, those fish know, okay, it's let's let's start creeping on up there. It, it may be in a lot of your biggest fish will actually spawn a little earlier than anybody realizes. And that's one thing to to keep in mind. Um, that's, that's the first thing is you want to put yourself in, in a position to intercept those fish as they're moving in or moving out, depending on the conditions. And then you just adjust your bait selection and presentation to the type of water that you're fishing. Um, once, once those fish come in, if it, you get a nice stable weather system, especially like a full moon is a good trigger uh, for spawning fish. It's not a must. Like last week we had fish spawning around here. It wasn't a full moon. It was just nice and warm. The water got up to like 62, you know, and there were some fish just like, Hey, it's time to party, you know, let's go. And, uh, so, so, you know, some come on the moon, you know, and some come on, uh, what we call photo period day length. You know, there's certain fish that, that come in with when the weather's right. And there's other fish that come in that when it matches up with day length and, and the moon phase. So you you sort of you know it'd be hard to do in a, in a podcast to explain it uh, in depth and and so I'm doing my best to kind of condense it a little bit. But you have to think like what those fish are are wanting to do. 
And, you know, the biggest thing to remember is once those fish come in, when we get some really hard weather, if they're not committed to the beds, a lot of times they're going to pull back out to that safe zone, that little bit of deeper water just out from where the, where they want to spawn. Um, so one thing that helps me uh, and will help a lot of people if they fish the same waters on a regular basis, they kind of know where those fish go to spawn, those, those little pockets or flats or wherever those fish go to spawn. During that, those three seasons, pre-spawn, spawn, and post-spawn, everything is built around that little area where those fish go to spawn. And then you backtrack. If the fish are, you know, about to come in, they're just outside of there. Uh, and when they're done, they're going to they're gonna go right back out just outside of that area, you know, to start getting on the shad and things like that. So that's a good way to sort of be confident, you know, in, in this area and how to, how to uh, adjust, you know, with a small area where, you, you know, where you know those fish spawn or the types of pockets those fish spawn in. And you can, you can backtrack depending on the, the conditions. Um, but that's the key is knowing that that little bit of deeper water is a little bit of safe zone um, or a, you know, a fairly shallow type reservoir or even a river. Uh, sometimes four feet of water is enough, you know, that, that those fish can pull back to a Highlands Lake like I grew up on, on Lake Martin, or maybe we're going to Lake Norman for Redcrest coming up. Um, it might be like a 10 to 15 feet zone that they might want to pull out to because the water's a little more clear. Gotcha. So what baits post-spawn, pre-spawn, and during the spawn, what, what's your like go-to bait? Say it's yeah, pre- um, clear or dirty water. Yeah, yeah. Clear water, pre-spawn, I love a jerk bait, you know, especially with forward sonar. And, you know, I know everybody's got mixed feelings on forward sonar, man. I was, I caught fish for years and the only thing I didn't realize is how many were looking at my bait and didn't eat it, you know, before. So, so now it's probably even more frustrating, you know, at least before I didn't know, I just, you know, thought they hoping they were looking at it, you know, but now I know, you know, I just had a fish follow my bait all the way to the boat and didn't eat it, you know, <laughs> and sometimes that can help. You can adjust, you know, bait and color selection, but crank baits, jerk baits. And, uh, you know, if you need to slow down things like jigs or even Ned rigs, things like that. Um, are really good for those fish that are staging out on that, you know, where it's a little bit cooler, you know, cooler temps, things like that. And as it warms up, you know, those fishes, the water temperature warms up, those fish, their metabolism is going to start to pick up, you know, and they're going to realize, okay, we're about to spawn, time to time to put on a few pounds because it's going to be a rough, you know, rough month or so here. You know, we're going to burn a lot of calories. So they, they come in and you get the right conditions. Um, you can start chunking, you know, vibrating jigs and, and spinner baits and swim jigs and swim baits and things like that, moving baits, and target those aggressive fish that are ready to to get a good meal before they set up on the spawn. And then when they get when they set up to spawn, you know, it's it almost flip flops and goes back to the opposite of, hey, I've got to I've got to slow down and be, you know, really, you know, methodical and soak my bait in around certain targets because those fish are. They're not looking to eat anymore. You know, they're just looking to defend a nest. And um, so you've got to keep that bait around, you know, a possible target where those fish could be spawning for a longer period of time. And then once they're done, they go back and and uh, it's it's time to feed up again. A lot of times you have a shad spawn going on. You got the, the bluegill are coming in to spawn. Uh, bluegill have been pestering the nest, you know, all during the bass spawn. And, and so when the bluegill get ready to go, the bass return the favor and start eating them. And uh, so it's a great way to catch a big bass is, you know, targeting, you know, areas with bluegill beds and, and shad spawn. And sometimes that time of year, you can do a little bit of that shad spawn in the morning and go to the bluegill 
bite in the afternoon. And uh, it's a great way to catch some of those big post-spawn females. I like it. That was some awesome insight there. And you you <laughs> hit it on it a little bit with um, Redcrest coming up. And just so you know, this podcast is going to be aired after Redcrest. Okay. So don't feel like <laughs> you're giving away any secrets here. Yeah. Um, what's, your, what's your mindset going into that tournament? I'm excited about it. Uh, I grew up fishing Lake Martin here in Alabama. And, you know, I've, I've been to a few, you know, several different Highland fisheries over the years fishing on different tours. Um, I, I always felt like Lake Norman was one of the closest things I'd ever seen to Lake Martin. And uh, so I'm confident for that reason that I, I know how to fish that type of fishery. It's sort of like a Highland fishery, but it's a little bit flat, you know, uh, not like an Ozark Lake where you got a lot of bluffs and bluff ends and arms. Uh, it's, it's more sprawling and flat, long, flat points and a lot of docks, which I love to do. Um, so I feel really comfortable going into that type of fishery. They've got a good mix of uh, largemouth and also the spotted bass. And that's what those are one of my favorites, especially here in Alabama. We've got the Alabama spot. A lot of people know them as Coosa spots that get really big. And uh, I like them because they're 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 not quite as smart as the largemouth. They're just so aggressive. So. I love spotted bass and smallmouth because, you know, it's, it's more about it's more a matter of finding them, you know, and, and being able to fish, you know, aggressively and, and get trigger those bites. And uh, so I'm excited about it. I think Norman's going to be a it's going to be a mix between quality spotted bass. Anytime you go to a fishery like that, you'll catch a whole bunch of spots. But the key is being able to get those quality fish, those, you know, two, two and a half pound spots up to four pounds. And then having a way that, hey, I could go catch me a couple of big largemouth, you know, three to maybe even six pound largemouth. I think whoever can do that consistently is, is going to win. Uh, the hardest thing on a highland fishery is they don't like pressure. It's not one of those situations where you go into one area and you bang that area all day, every day of the tournament and, and you come out of winter. It's more pattern fishing. So you got to you got to understand why those fish are setting, you know, setting up where they are. And you've got to be able to look at a map, you know, for me, look at my Garmin Lakeview maps and be able to make good decisions based on that and be open to running new water. I think that's going to be the key is, um, you know, if I if if I were to win or whoever wins, I would say is probably by the end of that tournament is going to run a lot of new water, but have a really solid pattern that they can fish pinpoint, you know, confident type targets. Absolutely. Well, I hope when this podcast airs, you won it, and then we'll get you back on the podcast to talk about you winning Red Crest. Heck yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> I'll have that big red trophy right here on my hip. <laughs> Absolutely, man. All right, let's let's wrap it up here. I um I always like asking the uh, Bass Pro guys what their uh, what their PB largemouth is, smallmouth, and then if you want spotted bass too, since I know you fish them a lot. Yeah, PB largemouth. I I caught I've caught two ten pounders in my life. Both of them were in Florida, and both of them were in tournaments. So you know, a lot of times we catch the big one in practice, and then we can't get. That's what happened at Toho <laughs> this recently. But yeah, I caught a ten five at the Harris Chain. Got to see it all happen. It was such a rush. Uh, spotted bass, you know, pushing six pounds. You know, here I don't know exactly what it weighed, but we've we've caught so many five pounders, five pluses uh, here around the around the house. It's 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 pretty cool. And uh, smallmouth is pushing six pounds. I don't know that I've got one over six yet. Um, and I'm surprised because I've been to some of the best smallmouth fisheries in the world. But that five and a half pound mark where the, for the smallies is just so hard to get over, you know. Um, but, yeah, pushing six pounds. I think that was St. Lawrence River. And that one was in, in practice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Very nice. I'm actually going up to the St. Lawrence River this summer. So hopefully oh, I can man. run into a six pounder up there. 
They're in there. <laughs> cool, Greg. I appreciate it. Why don't you let everyone that's listening know um, where to follow you at and all your social medias and keep along with your story and your progress as you cre- continue your career? Well, there's not a whole lot of Greg Benson professional anglers out there, so that's a good way to find me. You can just Google it. You know, and I'm on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, and uh, gregbenson.com is the website, so it's easy to remember. Uh, Instagram, of course. Uh, Instagram. I'm Roosterfish, so uh, one of the nicknames over the years I've gotten for having red hair was the rooster, and uh, so that's on Instagram, it's Roosterfish, so hope you guys will go check it out. Cool, Greg, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for jumping on this podcast, and down the road, after the season, maybe, hopefully get you back on for another one. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Eric. You just listened to the Fishing Fanatics podcast with your host, Eric Stewart. Feel free to check out our other podcasts and our other interviews on our channel, on Spotify, YouTube, and much more. Check out our Instagram page, TikTok, and Facebook as well.